Good morning. The Pentagon releases video of a Russian fighter intercepting its drone over the Black Sea. The bank failure contagion. Is there a monetary vaccine? The Lower East Side fights to save an abandoned school for use as a community center. And fans of WBAI Radio accuse their lawyer of selling assets to pay his bills. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the news for Friday morning, March 17, 2023. The Biden administration released video Thursday of a Russian fighter jet dumping fuel on a United States Air Force surveillance drone over the Black Sea. The U.S. military declassified the 42 seconds of color footage showing a Russian Su-27 approaching the back of the MQ-9 Reaper drone and releasing fuel as it passes. On a second approach, either the same jet or another Russian fighter struck the drone's propeller, damaging a blade and forcing the military to ditch the aircraft at sea. Russia said its fighters didn't strike the drone and claimed the unmanned aerial vehicle went down after making a sharp maneuver. Pentagon spokesperson General Pat Ryder. The United States' focus in the region, the focus with Ukraine, is solely on providing Ukraine with the support that it needs to defend itself. You've heard us say before that Ukraine has a right to defend itself, and we have a right to help them alongside the international community to do that. So the United States does not seek conflict with Russia. We do not seek escalation with Russia. And so we're going to continue to stay focused on our primary mission in the Ukraine area, which is supporting Ukraine in its fight. Reportedly, the Russian military is trying to recover the downed drone, but the Pentagon says after striking the water, the vehicle probably broke up and is no longer of value. In more national news, a group of 11 private U.S. banks, including Bank of America, Citigroup, and J.P. Morgan Chase, announced on Thursday they're depositing $30 billion into the crippled California-based First Republic. The Biden administration has been scrambling to limit a spreading financial crisis after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank last week on the heels of an old-fashioned bank run, as depositors attempted to withdraw their money all at once. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen insists the banking system is strong. I can reassure the members of the committee that our banking system is sound and that Americans can feel confident that their deposits will be there when they need them. This week's actions demonstrate our resolute commitment to ensure that our financial system remains strong and that depositors' savings remain safe. Despite the assurances, economists say the crisis is just beginning and the extent of damage to the global economy is unknown. A professor of law and public finance at Nova Southeastern University in Fort Lauderdale, Florida is Tim Canova. He also was part of Senator Bernie Sanders' advisory committee on Federal Reserve Reform. Canova says the Treasury could just absorb the bank's losses, but that comes with a political price. Treasury could coin a trillion-dollar platinum coin, right? We're not going down that road, but what we are seeing is the Fed is in a catch-22. Their balance sheet exploded to over $4 trillion over the last decade. It's got an enormous portfolio of treasury securities, but also mortgage-backed securities. It's heavily involved in the repo market. And there's been pressure on it to unwind its position and raise interest rates, especially as inflation has been high. It was almost exactly a year ago the Fed starts to do that. As it raises interest rates, this has a pretty significant impact on financial markets and therefore on on the banks themselves pretty quickly. When the rates were cut, that made the bonds, those treasury bonds, worth less to the holder. As interest rates were pushed up, it made the existing treasuries they had worth less. Silicon Valley Bank entered into a controversial agreement with Goldman Sachs, where Goldman bought some billions of dollars of their treasuries as part of a strategy for 
Silicon Valley Bank to raise capital. However, there was short selling going on against Silicon Valley's stock and the stock of other banks. You've got to wonder who's behind the short selling. The nickel version of what short selling is. Uh, Short selling is when you basically are borrowing stocks to sell later so that you're betting against the price of the stocks. You're betting that the the price will go down. Oh, no. um, So you're betting against the company, against the economy. Yes, exactly. They allow that to happen? used to be illegal. It's legal now. During the worst of the 2008 financial crisis, the SEC stepped in and prevented short selling of uh, financial stocks for some weeks. That's been relaxed. Then you've got to wonder about the derivatives market. During the 2008 financial crisis, the credit default swap market became quite significant. Lehman Brothers, for instance, was choking on credit default swaps at a time that Goldman Sachs and other big financial players were short selling Lehman stock and buying credit default swaps on Lehman debt. And I saw that wonderful movie about that and how the guy wound up uh, making a billion only to realize he lost the billion that he made. Exactly. The derivatives market is like a casino. And for every player that wins on their bets, some other player loses. Ellen Brown wrote a piece recently called the looming quadrillion dollar derivatives tsunami. The size of the derivatives market has only increased quite dramatically since the 2008 financial crash. Ellen Brown points out that an awful lot of the derivatives today are not credit default swaps, the derivatives on the movement of interest rates. Nobody quite knows who's exposed to what. In some ways, nothing has changed since 2008. Contagion and panic will increase when there's not much transparency. And the derivatives market is a very dark market. There's not a lot of transparency there. What's going to happen now? There's no predicting it. Has the Fed and the FDIC stepped in with a strong hand early enough to stop this contagion? No one knows. It's possible things could slow down. It's also possible this could be a far worse financial crisis than 2008. Did deregulation by Trump and others, Democrats as well, contribute to this, the undermining of Dodd-Frank and that kind of thing? Dodd-Frank had basically subjected banks that had more than $50 billion in assets to greater scrutiny by federal bank regulators. And in 2018, they raised that limit to $250 billion. I don't think it would have made much of a difference with Silicon Valley Bank. There's now a push to reduce that threshold back down to $50 billion. I'm not sure you could really blame the watering down of Dodd-Frank that much. Dodd-Frank, on its own merits, was kind of a failure. It didn't do much to regulate the derivatives market, for instance. You've had a decade of the Fed issuing 4 or $5 trillion of creating dollars out of thin air and buying securities for it, uh, mostly bonds of some sort. That put the Fed into a corner. How do you unwind the position when you've gone that far? And the Fed decided to essentially bail the banks out and the financial markets out by printing money. That's a trickle-down approach. At the same time, Treasury had its troubled asset relief program in which they injected hundreds of billions of dollars of capital into the banks. All of this is to try to make the bank's balance sheets healthier and hoping it'll trickle down in the form of more lending and some expansion in the economy. What they did not try was a bottom-up approach to the recovery. Is Wall Street a casino? It is a casino, and it's time and again is a failed casino. And in 2008, we were at a crossroads. If the federal government had decided to basically nationalize the failing banks, clean them out from the inside, 
and then privatize them after they were cleaned out. We perhaps would not be at this crossroads now where the problem is only perhaps even bigger than it was a decade ago. Tim Canova is professor of law and public finance at Nova Southeastern University. He adds the Fed could use the current crisis to extend government control over banks, including the ability to digitize and track all financial transactions in real time. You're listening to the news from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. In local news, the former Public School 64, which was squatted by activists and turned into a community center known as Charis more than 20 years ago, is up for auction again next week. The building was purchased in 1998 at auction for more than $3 million by developer Greg Singer, who evicted the Puerto Rican-led Cultural and Community Center in 2001. However, fierce opposition by residents and local politicians blocked Singer's plans. One version called for high-rise university dorms. The mayor at the time, Rudy Giuliani, was once lauded as America's mayor, but today is most famous for his dogged support of former President Donald Trump's false election claims as his personal lawyer. Giuliani apparently harbored malice towards the mostly pro-immigrant group making use of Charas. The result was a bitter fight over the future of the building. Eventually blocked from developing the building by court rulings under subsequent mayors, as well as determined resistance by the community, Singer sued the city for wrongful interference, but recently the building slipped into foreclosure with millions owed. PS64 is going up for auction on March 22nd at the Midtown Hilton. On Wednesday, several dozen Charis supporters were at City Hall to demand the mayor do something before the building is sold to a new developer. What do we want? When do we want it? What do we want? When do we want it? What do we want? When do we want it? What do we want? When do we want it? The 130,000 square foot school building was built in 1909. It was closed in 1977 as the surrounding neighborhood became a warren of abandoned buildings and open lots, although still a very vibrant community during the 1970s fiscal crisis. Activists evicted drug dealers and moved into the abandoned building in 1979. Charas was the name of a community self-help group founded in part by Chino Garcia, who consulted with mathematician Buckminster Fuller, who built one of his iconic geodesic domes nearby. Garcia, using a walker, was at the City Hall rally. It's, it's important to know that this building has at least 130,000 square feet that could be used for community use. Yes. Yes. You know, and that's what was important. And what's important in it is that we got creative people that want to go back to work in there yes. in order to service our community. So fight for the building for as much as you can so the people could enjoy themselves in it, learn and participate in programs inside that facility again. So please put up a fight for that building. And it's important that everybody participate. Thank you. What do we want? What do we want? What do we want? When do we want it? When do we want it? What do we want? What do we want? When do we want it? When do we want it? El Bohia was a performance space used by artists, including filmmaker Spike Lee, who showed his work there. The director of the 6 BC Community Garden is Barbara Caparelli. He left us with a building that's even harder to finance.
to put our dreams back in that building. The children of Charas have gone on to become successful artists, community leaders, heads of not-for-profits, educators, scientists, they're all here. So much was learned at Charas. Our neighbors, you are our neighbors. We love each other and we need this place to gather again. The people that were hurt the most was the next generation of our young bloods. My daughter at age four was able to go into Chadas and experience the mentorship of role model adults who had the give back philosophy, who could do more with less. It was, we have had our community splintered. We are fighting for the same thing. We need to do it in that building. The people across the street are playing with crunching numbers. Brad Landers, you are our controller. You got the money. Now figure it out. We got to figure out creative financing because now this building is a freaking shell. A shell after there were millions of dollars of federal, state, and city money put in there and thousands of hours of sweat, equity, love, labor. Mayor Adams, give it back! Mayor Adams, you must act! Give us charters back! Mayor Adams, you must act! Give us charters back! Preservationist Juan Guerrero says Charos El Bojillo is crucial to the identity of the East Village and the surrounding Lower East Side. Charos El Bojillo, a community center that effectively belonged to the neighborhood, that it was by the neighborhood and for the neighborhood. A place that effectively was the heart of the neighborhood, a wellspring of community and of its social and cultural activity. And this heart was unceremoniously ripped from the chest of the community and cast lifeless aside for two decades. Amen. And the upcoming auction is going to only perpetuate this heartlessness. Well, I say that it is high time for some cardiac intervention. I call on you, Mayor Adams, to put on your scrubs and make good on the broken promise of the city to bring us back our community center. While many in the neighborhood want to preserve PS64 as a community center, the requirements are daunting. Millions of dollars, construction and management expertise, city approval are all required. Politicians who support what might be an expensive renewal project were in attendance, including Amy Lowe, a representative council member, Carlina Rivera. Centers like this can be places for young people and old people to find respite, to find art. It's part of healing, it's part of community and activism that keeps us together. And I want to thank everybody for continuing the fight. Your dedication to this neighborhood is what keeps our community safe and our community healthy. And that is because of all these advocates behind me. And we are going to stand and fight with you to the end. City Comptroller Brad Lander said he happened to be passing by when he heard his name mentioned. In a brief interview with this reporter and Village Voice reporter Sarah Ferguson, he said, we're in different times. To have attracted enemies like 
Singer and Rudy Giuliani, then to have the community show up in such a strong fight over so many years, you know, often people would just give up after this long period of time. It's very inspiring. It's an important, it's not just an important building, it's not just an important community center, it's an important symbol in the struggle for the New York we love. You're the money man, what's gonna happen? I mean, this is gonna, you know, they got $20 million to fix the church there. I mean, the community stepped yeah, up because of the ancient this historical. This is worth, I mean, you know, th this is a piece of, of public infrastructure and it's worth the investment in making it thrive again. That's a big change because 20 years ago, everybody was saying we don't want community centers, we want profit-making, tax-paying mm, businesses. So, you know, look, we need more housing, so I'm all for more housing, but but housing by itself doesn't make a community. Places like Chadas make a community. Can you say that restoring this building is worth the public in investment? What do you mean? Can you be a little more? Well, I don't have a, you know, I mean, don't have like a spreadsheet yet. So, right. you know, what mix of philanthropic and community and investment, you know, I mean, generally for a community center of this sort, like look what just opened at the Lower East Side Girls Club. Right. I, I, have you been to that? Of course. You know, of course. so, so that's a public investment, a philanthropic investment. I think they have some low, you know, they've, so, but those kinds of spaces, you know, uh, even leaving aside the long fight, they don't happen by themselves and, right. and so pub, you know some public city capital dollars are often a part now you got to have control you got to have a vision you got to have the right a nonprofit or community land trust ownership you've got to you know like right. the Lower East Side Girls Club is right. getting this into clear title with an organization that can steward its recreation that's work that the you know community has right. to do and then work with City Hall but I, I think investing public resources in helping that happen City Comptroller Brad Lander. The auction of PS64, known as Charas El Bohio, on the Lower East Side is scheduled for Wednesday, March 22nd at 9.30 in the morning at the Midtown Hilton, 1335 6th Avenue. A separate group, styling themselves as Charas Defenders, say they'll be there to try and stop the auction. Attempts to stop the 1998 auction led to numerous protests and an incident where live crickets were released, forcing a temporary halt to the sale. And in more news from the fractious world of American progressives, no surprise, the nation's premier progressive radio network, the Pacifica Foundation, is knee-deep in angry controversy over plans to solve a property owned by KPFK, the foundation's Los Angeles station. Its station in New York City, WBAI, was shut down in 2019 for a month by internal fighting over money and other issues. Opponents of the sale protested in Los Angeles and in New York last week. The New York protest was held at the Broadway offices of Pacifica's general counsel, Arthur Schwartz, who saved New York's WBAI from being closed by Pacifica's management in 2019. The station was shut down for a month before Schwartz got a judge to overturn the foundation's action. A member of one of WBAI's myriad of governing and often competing power centers is Ali Murphy. She says whatever good Schwartz did in the past, his push to sell the foundation's assets, some say to pay his $150,000 outstanding legal bill, is unacceptable. One of the things that it came out in some documents is a Pacifica Foundation owe him $150,000 and he wants to sell that station because he wants to get paid the $150,000. That is one thing that it just came out in some papers. 
that he they owe him $150,000. So the radio station is in LA, and um, and right now people are fighting in LA not to sell that piece of property because also they don't even know if they're gonna get um, the market price for that piece of property. Mr. Schwartz is helping a group called New Day, which New Day, they don't follow the bylaws, and by not following the bylaws, they don't care what they do to the foundation. They have been suing and suing the foundation about thousands and thousands of dollars on really, really nothing, but they go because we are here in New York City, it's very hard for us to even defend ourselves. And now they, they wanted to sell the KPFK building, and when they finish with the KPFK, then they're going to take over WBAI because they wanted to sell the airwaves of WBAI because that is what they will give them a lot of, a lot of millions of dollars. So this is what is happening, and Mr. Schwartz here is helping to do that right now. So. Arthur Schwartz Pacifica's current legal counsel has a long history as a progressive lawyer in New York's Tony West Village. He's also an elected official and a former candidate for city council. Schwartz has been facing controversy over his role with another media outlet, a community newspaper known as the Westview News. The 95-year-old publisher of the Westview News, George Capsis, attended the protest at Schwartz's offices on Friday. He says Schwartz has been trying to seize the newspaper and create a political base for his ambitions. Until this day, I did not realize how devious he is. And it is a shock and surprise to meet you outside of his office on 225 Broadway. And you've traveled some distance to come to this location today. We have been fighting Arthur Schwartz and he has attempted, attempted to copy my newspaper and take it over. And we met with an attorney yesterday, and I am so pleased to meet with you because we are coalescing our view and our case against Arthur Schwartz. Tell me about your newspaper. How long have you had this newspaper? I've had my newspaper for 21 years. And Arthur Schwartz, it's a very successful newspaper, the most successful newspaper in Greenwich Village. And Arthur Schwartz has come in to take it over. And he has written to our key writers saying that my newspaper is turning right and convinced enough writers to go to his publication. Sounds like cancel culture. He tried to cancel me out. He, his first caption for his paper was the new Westview News. The new Westview News. My paper's called Westview News. And then I said, Arthur... I'm going to sue you. You can't do that. You just can't pick up somebody else's name for a newspaper that's been in existence for 21 years and say it's your own. And then he changed it to 
Westview News. He kept changing the name. But there is no question he's maintained the format. He's maintained the uh, type style, headlines. He's maintained. Okay. Why do you think he thinks he can get away with uh, stealing your trademark? Well, until this moment, I I couldn't believe uh, that he had the goal to do it. But stealing a newspaper is one thing. But I understand I should be interviewing you guys. He wants to sell your building. In several reports penned by Schwartz, he denies nefarious intent with the Westview News. Schwartz says he's the one trying to save the paper from conservative influence. And while WBAI's audience is small, its influence was once great, and it remains the only broadcast voice for many popular and leftist movements in New York City. WBAI stalwart Rachel Barr. If BAI and any of the sister stations are, go away, this is commercial-free radio, listener-sponsored radio. And if this goes away and any of those sister stations go away, people are going to be in the streets. The lawyer needs to step away and resign. And I just wanted to add that and say he has a conflict of interest because he is Pacific, the Pacifica Foundation lawyer. So therefore, if he's looking to get paid that $150,000 and he is the Pacifica Foundation's lawyer, he has a conflict of interest right now. So by this, by trying to sell the KPFK building and to get paid the $150,000. While Pacifica has listed the KPFK property for nearly $5 million, a sale is yet to be approved by the Foundation's Board of Directors. And that's the news for Thursday morning, March 17th, 2023. The news produced by this reporter. You can hear the news at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.